بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونتوب إليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له أشهد أن نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم عبد الله ورسوله اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وأصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين اللهم آت نفوسنا تقواها وزكها أنت خير من زكاها أنت وليها ومولاها اللهم حبب إلينا الإيمان وزينه في قلوبنا وكره إلينا الكفر والفسوق والعصيان أما بعد Begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Almighty, the Exalted, the one deserving of praise alone subhanahu wa ta'ala the one who is divine and perfect in a way that befits His Majesty subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who has bestowed His blessings and bounty upon all of mankind. And if one tries to enumerate the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one will not be able to do so. And the peace and blessings upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are the one who was sent as a mercy to mankind. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from those who gather with Him in the hereafter. Allahumma ameen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to cleanse our hearts and souls. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed to bless us with the beneficial knowledge, to allow us to benefit from what He has taught us and to increase us in knowledge. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make our hearts inclined towards the Iman, towards the faith of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to instill love in our hearts for the obedience of Allah, for the Iman, and to instill hatred in our hearts towards the disobedience and the things that anger Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Returning back to our series The journey to the hereafter And we began the series discussing a couple of topics First of them we discussed dunya. We discussed the reality of the dunya And how the Quran and the Sunnah Describe the reality of the dunya to us in other words, a way for us to begin the disattachment process to the dunya. This is the first step one must take if they are truly trying to shed the path towards Allah. Disattaching themselves from the dunya. No one's saying don't seek it. It's a difference. Right? We're saying disattach your heart and soul and your desires from the dunya. This was the purpose of the first segment. And we went over the proofs and evidences and advices. The second segment we spoke about Darul Barzakh, the life of the grave. A what happens when the soul is extracted from the body and the soul enters the grave and the life that occurs in the grave. We spoke about a couple of lengthy ahadith that discussed the journey of the believing soul and the journey of the disbelieving soul. Naam, and what occurs in the grave up until the day of resurrection. This is called Darul Barzakh, the life of the grave. And we began speaking last segment 
regarding Darul Akhirah, right? The life of the hereafter. Prophet mentioned, and it's incumbent for us to understand that the true life is not accepted is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the true life. What you are in today, what we are in today, how does Allah, someone give me a verse, I spoke about many. Give me a verse how Allah describes this dunya. There are a lot of adjectives Allah uses subhanahu wa ta'ala to describe this dunya. There is one that comes very often. Give me Arabic or English, does not matter. Anyone know Quran here? Afad, Juz, two Juz, three, four. You don't have to know Quran to know what, how Allah, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes, how Allah describes the dunya, huh? Illusion, deception. What is the Arabic word for deception? What does Allah use for deception? Deception lahu. Lahu is yani, play. Laib is play. Lahu is uh, wasting of time. Naam. The word for deception is ghurur. And this worldly life is nothing except that it is a what? It is a short temporary deception. So Allah doesn't even refer to it as a what? A life. It is deception. It takes you away from reality. You busy yourself with the dunya, it's going to disattach you from what? Reality. What's reality? Al akhirah. What's the true life? Al akhirah. It's the true life, right? Before I start, if there's any brothers who are here dropping off forms and they cannot stay. If they're dropping off forms for Umrah and they cannot stay, then just come put them right here. Right? If you can't stay, the brother who is bringing the forms should be here inshallah from the agency so that's the dunya right and the hadith the Prophet ﷺ mentions and says, whilst he's in the midst of battle and preparing for battle with the companions, he's uttering a phrase and we discussed this in the previous class where he says, La Aisha illa There is no life except the life of the hereafter. This is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, and then the, it was reported in Sahih Muslim that the companions, and whilst they're preparing for battle, they start uttering the statement and repeating it. La Aisha illa there's no life except the life of the hereafter. So Allah, forgive and pardon those who have migrated with the Prophet and those who have what accepted him, the Ansar. This is not something that they just merely uttered on their lips. This is what they truly believed. This is where their hearts truly were. That they truly believed and their hearts were attached to the hereafter. 
So look what they immediately followed the statements. They said, Oh Allah, pardon and forgive the Muhajirin and the Ansar. Oh Allah, forgive us. They're the Muhajirin and the Ansar, the people who are in battle. They're the, the ones who migrated from Mecca and the ones who are from the people of Medina who accepted the Prophet. So, oh Allah, forgive us. Because they understand and they know that there is no success on that day except through the mercy of whom? Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Prophet mentions in the hadith, he says, None of you will enter into the paradise except through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. None of you will enter paradise through your actions. Understand how heavy this hadith is. None of you will enter paradise through your actions, but verily one will be admitted into paradise based on the mercy of Allah. The only way you will enter is through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is merciful upon you and chooses you and admits you into paradise. So then the companions asked him, Ya Rasulullah, not even you. You're the greatest man to walk and you have the most purest of actions. You won't even be admitted into paradise by merely just the actions you have put forth in this dunya. He said, not even myself. So how does one attain the mercy of Allah? Because that's what they were saying, oh Allah, forgive us. Because they understood if they were not forgiven, then the paradise is not for them. And understood that the hereafter is the true life, the Jannah. So they immediately proceeded the statement with what? Oh Allah, pardon us, forgive us. Because that's the only way to the Jannah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The way to Allah's mercy is by doing these actions. The act of worship that we are doing, this is the means to attaining the what? The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One abiding by the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the lifestyle and the methodology of Islam, this is the way to attain the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is mulakhas, that is a summary of what we've went over over the past couple of classes. Naam. Like we mentioned, we began discussing some of the traits of the hereafter. Some of the verses, some of the names. That's what we started to do last week. And we decided to continue this. But we mentioned that going into the topic of the hereafter is very deep. There are many stages to the hereafter. And there was a reason why I did not start speaking about the descriptions of the Jannah, the description of the fire, what happens when resurrection occurs, what will happen once the mankind exits their graves in a periodic way, talking about it in depth, because this is all necessary for the believer. How is one that claims Islam going to live their life and the whole Quran that is between their hands, it is telling them about this day and is preparing them for this day and is giving them traits and characteristics of this day and one day we'll end up leaving and some of us may not even know how that day will be. This is a true, true this is deception, this is loss. And the whole Khusran movie, right? So consulting some of the mashayikh and some of our teachers from them, Mr. Ahmed, I was in the dilemma. I really felt like we were going to put this, yeah, not give this topic is due diligence if we just came and tried to summarize it in 40 minutes. How are we going to summarize everything the Quran and the Sunnahs came in a general sense, not even in detail. In a how are we going to summarize everything in 40 minutes? Sajib. Right? And it shows some sort of يعني, belittlement to the topic. So, what was brought forth from our elders and our teachers, may Allah bless them in our mashayikh, is that this is a what? This becomes a series in itself. Where every other week, right? Every other week, we will go over a segment of the hereafter. For example, next week or the week after, we'll speak about. Resurrection. What will happen at resurrection? How will resurrection occur? The details of resurrection, right? And go in depth 
the next segment talking about the shafa'ah, the intercession, the beginning of judgment, right? Then talking about the description of the judgment, one segment. Then talking about the mizan, the scales that weigh our actions, right? All this requires in itself an own lecture, right? Up until we get to the sirat, walking on the sirat, making it ashab al-a'raf, the people who have the balanced deeds on that day, make it into Jannah in his description, make it into hellfire in his description. All that stuff needs a class on its own. Each segment needs a class on its own. So we'll go through this. Our teacher, Ustad Ahmed, may Allah bless him, will be returning this weekend. And he'll be restarting his series this coming Thursday, inshallah ta'ala, where he's been going over the names and attributes of Allah. Right? So it'll be one week that class, another week this class, inshallah ta'ala. This is how it will be. So the question arises to what is prepared for today. Wallahi, from the greatest of introductions to speaking about this topic, speaking about the Akhirah, is going over one of the chapters in the Qur'an. One of the chapters in the Qur'an that was dedicated to this topic, that served as the greatest يعني, guideline that showed us as many descriptions of this day as possible. And this is Surah Qaf. Surah Qaf in the Qur'an. Right? Surah Qaf. 56th or 50th chapter If I'm not mistaken 50th or 56th Naam Surah Qaf And Surah Qaf is a very special surah We'll begin by introducing the surah And we'll talk about First What it describes Why the surah Has such a high status First and foremost With the Prophet ﷺ, His instances with the surah Why we chose the surah And then we'll start briefly Going into the surah I don't plan on finishing it at all. It's 40 verses. I don't plan on finishing it at all. We don't want to give the speech of Allah and belittle it. May Allah pardon us. Surah Tuqaf. It is a Mecca surah. Everyone here knows the difference between Mecca and Medani. Many times we've discussed it. Any, everyone know what's the difference between a Mecca surah and a Medani surah? If you do not know, ask. It's very important. If you don't know, then there's nothing wrong with asking. Right? The best questions to ask are the ones that pertain to your faith, the ones that pertain to your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one should ever be shy when it comes to what? When it comes to the knowledge. A Mecca surah, right? Who can, who can help teach here? Someone tell me what is a Mecca surah? Huh? Say it again? This, the chapters that were revealed in Mecca. Okay. That's good. But I need a, a one more detail to that. Huh? He said from the Mecca source, they talk about Iman. They talk about the foundational principles. This is correct. A little bit more to what he said. I need one more trait. Okay. This is what these the Mecca surahs are surahs that talk about the foundation. You see them talking about who is Allah. Description of the hereafter. Allah's names and attributes. Right? Stories of the people of the past. This is what Mecca surahs will be talking about. Right? The brother said that these are his verses that were revealed in Mecca. The proper translation or the proper description of what is a Mecca surah, so we are to the T with it, is surahs and verses that are revealed before the hijrah, before the migration. Why is saying surahs revealed in Mecca not sufficient? Because after the hijrah, there was 10 years in Medina, and what did they do after Medina? They went back where? To Mecca. Were there surahs revealed in Mecca at that time? Yes, but those were considered Medini surahs as well. 
because it was after the Hijrah. There were surahs revealed when they returned back to Mecca, the 22nd year of the prophethood. Right? These are still many surahs. Right? So that's why the proper translation, a Mecca surah is a surah or a verse that was revealed before the Hijrah. It was in the first 10 to 13 years prior to the migration to Medina. And these are surahs that focus on the foundational principles. They're surahs teaching you about who's Allah, what is the day of judgment, arkan al-Iman, the six pillars of Iman, basically. Right? Madani surahs are surahs revealed after the migration. And there are surahs that are specifically talking about the legislation, the salah, the things you must be doing, the halal, the haram, how to worship Allah, and the likes. Okay? So this is in short. Makki Madani surah. Surah Qaf is what kind of surah? Makki surah. Makki surah. Tayyib. And this means it was revealed when? Before the Hijrah. Jazakumullah. Tayyib. This is from the greatest Mecca surahs. And what shows us the greatness and the status of the surah is how the Prophet dealt with the surah. There are three different ahadith, all found in the Sahihain, Muslim and Bukhari, that discuss the Prophet's relationship and how he elevated the surah. Right? The first of these ahadith is a hadith that mentions that the Prophet would often recite Surah Al-Qaf in the first rak'ah of the Fajr Salah. It was often. It was from the surahs that the scholars say that he would recite this surah most frequently in the first rak'ah of the Fajr Salah. Right? So that is one thing. In another hadith, it is reported that he would recite it in every first rak'ah of Fajr until the companions have memorized it. They used to pray behind him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this is how frequent it was, 40, 40 verses. And it was, it was recited so frequently that it got to a point where the people praying behind the Prophet ﷺ memorized it. Not opening, there was no masahif, nothing to look at. Just merely hearing it consecutively got them to a point where they what? Memorized it. So this is one thing. Of course, how abundantly he would recite it shows the value of the surah. Correct? That's the first thing. The second hadith is hadith that mentions that the Prophet ﷺ used to recite this surah in the Eid prayer, in the first rak'ah of the Eid prayer. And what's so significant about the Eid prayer? This is from the instances where you have the greatest amount of Muslims present. The greatest amount of Muslims, debatably, are present when? At the time of Eid, the Eid khutbah, the Eid salah. Even to the point where there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ mentions and says, that even the women who are going through their time of the month, as we know, the women should what? At the time of the month, they should not be approaching the what? The masjid. They're prohibited to go to the masjid, right? He even said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that even at the time of Eid, the women who are in this state, they need to go to the masalla. They need to go witness this sha'ira, this ritual of Islam, right? So this shows you that everyone is to go, right? And him reciting it almost every Eid salah shows what? And him, he's aware of his surroundings, sallallahu alayhi wa He's aware of how many people are there. So he's trying to get the people informed and acquainted with the surah. That's the second hadith. The third one really shows us how valuable the surah is. It was reported that the Prophet, in his Jum'ah khutbah, he would stand the minbar and he would just merely read the surah. No khutbah, no reminder. He would just, the surah, the verses of the surah, he would recite it. This was the khutbah. Right? This was the khutbah. And this is something he used to do frequently as well. It wasn't just a one-time thing. He would frequently recite Surah Qaf. Right? And when we go through these verses, one will understand and be able to somewhat fathom, right? How 
great of a reminder the Surah is not. Um, you said that, uh, the Prophet the first Yeah. Often. Most frequently. And then you said another hadith mentioned that he would do it every day until he memorized it. He would do it often until he, until he got to a point where the companions were memorizing. Oh, no. So it's often or just every day? Often. The most frequent surah he would memorize in physical. No. no. So these are the three hadith that show us the value of the surah. Right? Type why the surah? Ibn Kathir, what we have in front of us, like we said, one people should know where the information is coming from. Should not be just the opinion of the person speaking. And the person speaking himself isn't even somewhat special or anything he says is to be considered right now, right? This is merely the books, and the scholars, and we reiterate what they say. May Allah pardon us for coming short. What we have in front of us is a tafsir Ibn Kathir, right? and this is where our information came from, right? From the most comprehensive tafsir that are present on the face of this earth. Today, right? So we're going over Surah Qaf. Surah Qaf. Why is this Surah something the Prophet mentioned and frequently recited and reminded with? For many reasons. One, it speaks about the beginning of creation. It speaks about the beginning of creation. That's the first reason why Surah Qaf was, was recited often. Two, it speaks about resurrection. It speaks about resurrection and the day of judgment. Three, it speaks about the people of paradise and their characteristics. It speaks about the people of the fire and their characteristics. Four, it speaks about the people of the past and how they transgressed their messengers and what occurred to them due to this uh, transgression and disobedience. Right? All this is found in the soul. All this is found in the soul. And these are great, heavy topics. Right? From the greatest topics, the one that is reminded with consistently. Right? Imagine being consistently reminded of the beginning of creation. How Allah created you. How Allah brought you from nothing. Why Allah put you here. Consistently is being ingrained in your head. And imagine being reminded frequently about the day of judgment. Every Fajr. Every Jum'ah. Right? Reminded frequently about the day of judgment. And its characteristics and its traits and its horrific scenes. Naam. This is from the greatest of reminders. Tayyip. So these are, this is just an introduction to the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the surah and says, Qaf wal Qur'an al-Majid. Can someone, inshallah, if they can bring out the English translation on their phone, I don't have any English in front of me. So just in case I mess up on the translation, um, or I may, I will, I will ask you to give me what, inshallah ta'ala. It's good to have it in front of you too. Have Qaf in front of you. So with Qaf, look at it. I may struggle with translating some words into English. And please do not, try to correct me if I do not use the exact verbatim words in the translation. But I will need it. I don't have it memorized the, um, the translation. No. Mm -hmm. It speaks about the descriptions of the people of Jannah and the people of Nam. Number four is the description of the people who transgressed the prophets in the past. Yeah. So Allah begins the surah says, Qaf wal Quran al Majid. Allah says, Qaf. Right? What is the meaning of Qaf? Anyone know? So what's the meaning of Sad? Allah begins the surah says, Sad. Allah says another one, Yaseen. And another one says, Taha. And others he says, Alif Lam Meen. He says, Alif Lam Ra. Anyone know the meaning of these? Where are the, where are the ulama here? 
We're the scholars. Huh? Allah knows best. This is the be this right here shows the scholarly value of somebody when they say Allah knows best. It's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. You said you have what? You have an answer. I was going to say it's, or yeah, it's, it's not something that we understand. It's not something that we understand. Okay. Any discrepancy here? This is correct. There have been many attempts by the Mufassirin to go ahead and interpret what these, as we say in Arabic, Huruf al-Muqatta'ah. A, the letters of the Arabic language, they are put into ayat in singular form. Meaning they, they don't come, to get to come together and make up phrases or complete sentences or words. Right? Qaf is a letter. Taha are letters. Yasin are letters. Alif, Lam, they're letters. Right? And there are many attempts by the Mufassirin to go ahead and tell us what was the wisdom behind these verses being revealed. And from the most, I guess, simple, simple attempts, um, or I guess, an uh, analysis that have came from the Mufassirin, Ibn Kathir mentions it in his tafsir, is that if you realize and go to every surah that begins with one of these huruf al-muqatta'ah, go to every surah, go home tonight, whenever you have time, go home and look at the surahs that begin with these letters. Alif, Lamin, Saad, Yasin, Qaf, right? Look at the verse or look at the words that come immediately after these letters. Almost every single time Allah is referencing the Quran. Alif, Lamin, Dhalika al-Kitab, La Rayba Fi. Alif, Lamin, the first surah of the Quran. Alif, Lamin, this book, there's no doubt in it. What book is he talking about? The Quran. Qaf, right here. What does Allah say after it? Al-Quran al-Majid. Allah is talking about the great. Highly elevated Quran. Allah, Allah, Allah says, Alif Lam Ra, Tilka Ayatul Kitab al Mubin. Alif Lam Ra. These are the verses of the great, magnificent book. What book? The Quran. So that is what's not a coincidence. Everything is done with the wisdom, especially the speech of Allah. So Ibn Kathir mentioned, he says, and Allah knows best. This is not a conclusion or a consensus. But Allah knows best, he says, Do, Allah brought down these verses, on the, uh, these letters, on the most profound Arabs. The strongest Arabs to ever walk were the people of Quraysh. Okay? And that's why the Quran is the greatest miracle that the Prophet ﷺ had, was the Quran. And he had many miracles, but by consensus, this was the greatest miracle, this Quran. Simply because of the language it came in. And it came on the most profound Arabs. And these were the people who were the strongest Arabs to ever walk. Strongest Arabs to ever walk. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests them and reveals letters from their own language. And he's basically saying say to them indirectly, what does this mean? You guys are from the strongest Arabs, right? They are from the most eloquent Arabs that they were poets. What is known for someone to be a poet in a language, they must have the grammar down, right? The rules of the language down, right? And they are eloquent in that language. That's the only way you will be, get to a, a status or a point where you are a poet, especially in the Arabic language. This is from the most comprehensive languages to ever be found on this earth, wallahi. And if anyone studied Arabic or is studying it, they will see, they will understand. It's very strong, powerful language. These people were poets, shu'ara, right? So they were able to go ahead and take anything and tell you its meaning or what is intended behind it. They were that strong. So Allah is testing these arrogant people. And Allah is saying, qaf, alif, lam, mim. What does it mean? You guys are supposedly the best Arabs, right? What does it mean? They can't. Then what does Allah follow it by? A description of the Quran. To let them know what? That this language that you guys have excelled in, this Qur'an has came in the most eloquent form of this language. Does that make sense? Is, that, is someone confused about this? 
right? This is from the wisdoms or from the interpretations of Allah beginning the surahs with these huruf al-muqatta'ah, with these letters of the Arabic language. Tayyip, وَالْقُرْآنِ الْمَجِيدِ And Allah here swears, He says, by the Qur'an that it has high status, that is highly elevated, right? And this is the shan of the Qur'an. This is the status and this is the reality of the Qur'an, that it is from the highest elevated things to ever touch this earth. This speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not fall into a person or a place or a thing except that it makes that thing or person place blessed. Right? And we mentioned so many times the Prophet was the greatest man to walk simply because of what the Quran was revealed upon him. The greatest places to be in this worldly life is where? Mecca and Medina. These are the most virtuous places to be, correct? Why? Because the Quran was revealed in these two places. What is the best month in the Islamic calendar? Ramadan, right? Why? Shahru Ramadan al-Ladi unzil fi al-Quran. Because the Quran was revealed in it. What's the best nights of the year? Laylatul Qadr. But before Laylatul Qadr, what are the best nights by consensus? The last ten nights of Ramadan. Why? Because by by consensus, the Quran was revealed in one of these last ten nights. And that's why these last ten nights. We strive and worship. We stay up the whole night seeking Laylatul Qadr. A night that we do not know when it is, but we are sure this is one of those last 10 nights. And the only reason why we're seeking one of these nights is why? Because the Quran was revealed in one of these nights. That's my point. Everything that this Quran has touched is made it what? Blessed. So imagine a heart that holds this Quran. Imagine a man, a woman, who has memorized this Qur'an or memorized a juz of this Qur'an but they've allowed this juz or this verse or that surah that they've memorized to penetrate their hearts and to be what dictates their life. Imagine how blessed that individual is. This is the status of the Qur'an. Right? So Allah says, Qaf wal Qur'an al-Majid. Qaf and by the great book, the highly elevated book, this book with great status. What does Allah say after He swears, right? And as we know, whenever Allah swears in the Quran, it means what indirectly? Open your ears for what is to come next. When Allah swears in the Quran, that means what is to come next is, is a severe matter. It is a matter that you are supposed to pay attention to. So Allah swears and says, "Bal ajibu minhum, Allah is talking about the kuffar here. And he says, Bal ajibu. Rather, these people, Allah swears by the Quran, that he says, Rather, these people, the kuffar of Quraysh, ajibu, they were in a state where they were what? Amazed. Or in a state where they felt like something was strange. Right? Bal ajibu. Anja'ahum mundirum minhum. Why were they in a state where they felt something was strange or they were amazed? Because there was a warner that came from amongst them. Who is this warner? Who is the warner that came to Quraysh? You guys should say this out loud and scream it. We should not be nervous. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wallahi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is this man that at a time before he received prophethood and revelation, he was from the most virtuous men amongst them. He had so much status, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His lineage was blessed, but was blessed, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He came from the most best lineage in Quraysh. He was known to be a Sadiq al-Ameen, the most trustworthy, most truthful sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was known to be the most just amongst them, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
right? He had these lofty traits, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, right? But yet when they came, when he came with a message that went against their desires and went against their norms, they went ahead and the arrogance came out. That's why Allah says, بَالْعَجِبُ They were in a state of shock and amazement in a negative way. That amongst them came a warner that kept on warning them about this day. Warning them about the punishment of Allah. So these disbelievers, what did they continue to utter? This is a strange thing. What is a strange thing? The scholars say, the strangeness refers back to a couple of things. One, the thing that they used to attribute this attribute of strangeness to was the, the speech of Allah itself. The speech of Allah itself. When they used to hear the Quran being recited, they knew deep down it was not the speech of a man. What were some of the claims that the people of Quraysh used to make when they heard the speech of Allah? And they out of arrogance used to what? Try to go ahead and negate and try to go ahead and disbelieve in this Quran. They knew deep down it wasn't from another man. They know Muhammad sallallahu did not speak these words. Muhammad sallallahu was illiterate. He could not speak, uh, he could not write sallallahu He could not read. He was born as an orphan, he had no education. He was sent off at the age of four وسلم, to the desert and was raised there. He was secluded from society. He was secluded from parents. He had no parents, right? He had no education, no society influence. If you learn the seerah, you learn the stuff. And from the wisdoms of this seclusion, and it seems to be something that is, a, you know, it's ajeeb, this man was this much status, how could, he went, how could he have went through so much in his life? The ulama say, one of our teachers who teaches the seerah, he says, look how Allah is preparing this man's heart for the coming of the Qur'an. He's secluding him from society, because society influences you, correct? He's secluding him from parents, because whatever your parents raise you upon, that's what you're upon, correct? He didn't have parents. He's taken him away from education, to the point where he, could not even, he didn't learn to read or write, because education influences you, right? Look how, in this what our teacher said, he said, look how Allah is preparing him to give him a pure heart that is free from any influence. Because a heart that is pure from any of this misguidance and deviation and dunya around us, it will have no choice but to incline to the Quran when he hears it. But our hearts have been busied and tainted by the dunya. Our hearts have been busied and tainted by the dunya, and we have been influenced by society, we've been influenced by education, we've been influenced by our ancestors and our cultural norms. That's why we find it hard to practice Islam today. Someone tell me I'm wrong. Is this not why our ummah is in this state? Because our education systems, because of society and how it's raised us, because of our parents, not our parents, but our cultural norms and our ancestors, and them forcing upon us and making this a part of our lifestyle. All this stuff influencing these very fragile hearts. That's why you find it hard to levitate to the Quran. This is why this Prophet had this upbringing. He had this upbringing, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and was raised in this way. It seemed to be a, a hardship, a trial, but in, in reality, it was preparing for the Quran. Reality is preparing for the Quran. They were strange and amazed at this man, وسلم, that came to warn them and tell them about the Quran. They were they were amazed at the speech of Allah, because when they heard the speech of Allah, they would hear what? In illa mubin. This is what they used to say about the Quran. What's sihr mubin? Black magic. 
this is these are words being uttered and they these words were so strong they had to attribute black magic to the words think about it for a second the people the prophets of the past had actual miracles that one can come to a conclusion and say this was probably black magic right the miracles of isa alayhi salam the miracles of musa alayhi salam the miracle of ibrahim thrown into fire Ibrahim thrown into a fire and it did not affect him. Musa throwing his staff and turning into a snake, throwing, hitting, striking the sea with the staff and the sea splitting. These are things that people can come to a, a logical conclusion and say this is black magic. But this Quran was so strong, they didn't see anyone flying in the air or awakening the dead or splitting seas. They heard words and they called these words what? Black magic. That's why they were in a state where they felt like this was so strange. But their arrogance caused them, prevented them from accepting the truth. Also what was strange is this claim that Muhammad used to come with, which is singling out Allah. He used to say, come and say, La ilaha illallah. In Mecca, the Prophet used to come and say to the people, Qulu la ilaha illallah tuflihu. Say, La ilaha illallah, you'll be successful. So the Prophet, this is all he used to say. He didn't call to his own personal benefits. He didn't call to him being a ruler or him taking over or him overtaking the government. He was calling people to Allah. And this did not sit well with him because what was the norm of the people of Quraysh? They had multiple what? Aliha. Gods, deities, things that they worship, things that they believed had some sort of benefit. They believed benefit was with Allah, but they believed these other things they used to call upon had some sort of benefit. Not full benefit had some sort of benefit or some sort of influence in divinity. That's why they used to say, Has this man went ahead and created all of our multiple idols? We have an idol for victory, an idol for rain, an idol for sustenance, an idol for provision, and the likes. Has this man created, has taken all of our idols, and made it into one God? Really, this is a strange thing. Why? Because it didn't sit with the customs of their, of their society. The customs of the society and the customs of their ancestors was what? Multiple gods. A god for everything. Right? So when this man came with a claim that was against society, was against their education, was against their raising and their parenthood, this is why they called it strange. The thing that the Prophet ﷺ was secluded from. <coughs> Allah continues. Does that make sense? If we go on tangents, it may seem like it's unnecessary, but it's not. It's not unnecessary. From the things, the strange claims they used to come with as well, that did not sit well with them. They used to say, Are you trying to say, Muhammad, are you trying to say that one day we will pass away? وَكُنَّا تُرَابَ And we will become dust. ذَلِكَ رَجْعٌ بَعِيدٌ What you're trying to tell us, eh, you're talking about resurrection here. You're saying, oh Muhammad, we're going to pass away. Our bodies will disintegrate. And one day we're going to be, become something again. We'll be resurrected into another piece of flesh again. ذَلِكَ رَجْعٌ بَعِيدٌ This is something that's far-fetched. That's what they're saying. This is far-fetched. Far from reality. Right? And... From the, the scholars of Kalam, the scholars of philosophy who are Muslims, the scholars like Sheikh Imam al-Shafi'i, 
who have exhausted these, these knowledges in the way that they did not exit the boundaries of Islam. This is when we talk about philosophy. Sheikh Hussain al right? They did not exit the realms of Islam, but they studied these sciences so they could refute the people who used to disbelieve in Islam based on philosophy, right? They come with this argument, a logical argument, especially for the people who disbelieve in the Day of Judgment. They say, what is harder upon someone, uh, upon something, someone who's creating something from scratch? Is it more difficult for them to create something from scratch? Or is it more difficult for them to go ahead and renew it back after it's broken or after it passes away? Whatever. Are you guys getting the gist of what I'm saying? Creating something from new. Scratch. Right? You have to go ahead and take all your parts and create something brand new. Or this thing ends up breaking. Right? Or losing functionality in totality. Right? And you just have to take that and just return it back to life. What's harder upon the creator? Let's talk, let's talk about a phone or a computer. What's harder? From scratch, right? And the example of Allah is greater. What's harder? And nothing is hard upon Allah. Just so we make that clear. Nothing is hard upon Allah. But what's harder? What's more difficult, logically speaking? To create something from scratch? To create this man? Mankind from scratch? Or to go in after they've been created and manifested already and walked the earth? to go ahead and return them back to life. What's more difficult? Scratch. So you know that Allah created you, basically. This is the refutation. You know that Allah created from scratch. You came from nothing. Right? As Allah says, Were you not? And Allah brings these verses to prove the Day of Judgment. Wallah, look at the beauty of this Quran. Just wait. Allah says, Allah says in the verses of Qiyamah, do the people of creation believe that they were just created for no reason? They're created to just live a playful life. Then Allah says to refute this claim, meaning to show that they were created for a purpose. Were you not some, just a piece of water, a piece of semen at one point? Something so insignificant. This is what Allah is saying to refute the claims of the people who just merely thought that they were living a life that we call YOLO. That we call you only live once. Let me get everything out the way. Allah uses these verses that talk about the creation of mankind from nothing to show that there is a wise one behind your creation. And there's a wise one that puts you here and therefore there is a reason why you're here. There's a purpose why you're here. So follow that purpose and do not believe that you are here for a temporary temptation. Are you saying Muhammad that one day we'll pass away and we'll become dust? This is far-fetched. Allah responds to these people and says, We know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we know, These people who are disbelieving and being resurrected one day. They say, We know that one day we will be resurrected. We know what will happen to your bodies after it passes away. What will happen to your flesh? What will happen to your bones? This is how specific Allah and detail Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. He's saying that everything we, are, we hold account for it. Everything has been recorded. Every little thing to happen in this world life is recorded. To the point where Allah is saying, even what will happen to you after you pass away. How you will disintegrate, how you will go ahead and... What's that word that is used um, when you decompose, mashallah. You probably got biology, huh? No, right? You just paid attention to school. I didn't. Right? That, that state, what we even know what will happen to you when you decompose. Everyone's going to be different. That people live in different countries, different environments. How one is different than the other. 
Right? Allah is saying, we even know, Allah is saying, we know how, what will happen to you after death. Right? وَعِنْدَنَا كِتَابُ And we have a book, which is the Lawh Al-Mahfud, right? Hafiz. That is protected. Protected meaning it has, has everything into account. Everything that is to occur, in this case Allah is talking about what will happen at resurrection, what will happen before resurrection, everything it is held in this book and is protected. Right? Allah continues and says, بَلْ كَذَّبُوا بِالْحَقِّ لَمَّا جَاءُوا فَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ مَرِيجٍ Allah says, rather, they disbelieved in the truth, in the truth that Muhammad came They disbelieved in the truth that Muhammad came with, and they were in a state of confusion, a state of doubt. وَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ مَرِيجٍ أَيْلِ الطَّرَابِ كَانُوا فِي حَالِ الطَّرَابِ وَالشَّكِّ وَالْهَمِّ Right? Allah says that these people disbelieved in what Muhammad came with and whenever they would hear what he would, what he would come with out of their arrogance and blind following their ancestors, they were in a state of confusion. They, or they had a state of doubt. They were just doubtful in whatever he is that, whatever he used to come with Right? Why is Allah beginning the surah discussing the affairs of disbelievers? Because it only makes sense that the people who are mostly going to pick up this book and recite it are whom? Are believers. Allah is giving you a lesson. Allah is not just, Allah of course, the Muslim has to believe in the Day of Judgment. You're not a Muslim if you don't believe in it. Right? But I can, Allah is speaking about the negligence and the heedlessness of the people of Quraysh. Right? In another tafsir, they used to, they used to doubt and deny the Day of Judgment because of their desires. They used to deny that there would be a resurrection. And what comes with resurrection? Judgment. And what comes with judgment? You being held accountable for what you do. What comes with being held accountable? A legislation you should have followed. Does that make sense? So the Mufassirin used to say that these people used to deny the resurrection because they were so drowned in their desires. And they knew that what this legislation came with opposed their desires. Opposed their desires. Right? Just like we see today. Wallahi, 80 or 90, 80% of these People who claim atheism, who claim that there is no creator, wallahi, 80% of them are beyond, have zero intellect, one. Some of them are very smart, don't get me wrong. Some of them are very smart, it takes an expert to talk to them, right? But 80% of them, wallahi, aghbiya. Aghbiya, these people are stupid. And they're only coming with this claim simply for one reason. Because they know whatever religion they, were, they would follow, it comes with them leaving off the partying. And leaving off living a life where they can go ahead and conduct and dictate whatever goes on. They have to live by no rules, no morals. Whatever they see to be best fit, they follow it. Hey, whatever the desire calls to, they follow it. So of course it only makes sense. Not, it doesn't make sense at all actually. right? But they have no choice but to go ahead and just disbelieve in the whole in the whole narrative. Oh, this is a whole religion and there's God and I'm going to be resurrected. Matter of fact, it doesn't even exist. God is... That's what they're doing. I'm serious. This is what the people of Sunan, the people of Quraysh, used to go ahead and disbelieve in the day of Israel for this reason. As Mufassirin used to say, people are doing the same thing today. Right? So this was them. This is why Allah is talking about their affair at the beginning of the surah. Right? And then here, this Allah has brought the claim of the kuffar of Quraysh. And look at the justice and the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every time he brings the claim of the kuffar, 
every time he brings the state of the kuffar, the doubts of the kuffar, the doubts of the disbelievers, the disbelief of the disbelievers, the faults of the disbelievers, and then Allah immediately, immediately refutes it and rebukes it. Immediately. So these people are denying resurrection, denying a Lord. So Allah goes and continues, these people who are disbelieving in what Muhammad وسلم, is coming with, Allah says, Do they not look at the heavens? How we have structured it. SubhanAllah. How we have structured it. And beautified it. Look at what's in the sky. Look at how the clouds are. Look at how the sun is. Look how the sky is at nighttime. Especially when you go to a rural area. The stars, the moon, right? And the skies are up as if they're just hanging there. The clouds are up as if they're just hanging there. And Allah says, we, do you not look, Allah's talking to these kuffar, do you not look at the sky that is above you and see we have, how we have manifested it and how we have beautified it? And there's no crookedness in it. There is no, there is no gateway to it. You can't just go ahead and enter the sky, right? There's no like crease in it, in the sky. SubhanAllah. Why is Allah saying this? We'll see. And this, 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 this dunya, this ard, this earth, we have what? We've spread it out. This earth, we have spread it out. We've spread out this earth, right? And we have brought upon it from this earth, we have allowed to come out from it, what? Plants, agriculture. Right? Right? They come in pairs, they have multiple variations. Multiple variations of these kinds of plants that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. Allah is here is showing us His magnificence subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is showing us His divinity, His nububiyyah, His Lordship subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's showing us why He is the true God. This is how Allah is showing us why He is the only one deserving of any worship. Right? He's showing us what He's able to do and what He's capable of doing alone, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is talking about the sky, how He's created it. Wal-ard, the earth, how He's created it and what He's allowed to come from it. Allah then says, Allah says, this is what? This is insight. Hey, what he just mentioned from the creation of the heavens and the earth, this is insight. وَذِكْرَ And it is a reminder. For whom? Not just for everybody. Because of course, what we, the people of the past and today, who walk amongst this earth and see the sky every day, and see how the day goes to the night, and the night goes to the day, and they see the magnificence on this earth, on this earth, and they see the mountains, and the hills, right? And the deserts, and the many different signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is present from east to west. Right? And people are still in a state of negligence. That's why Allah says, Tabsira, it is insight. It thinks the signs of Allah that you see around you, it is insight. And it is a reminder from who? Only for those who are wary and conscious of Allah. These are the only people who will be affected and reminded by the signs that you see around you. These natural disasters. How the night never intersects the day. The day never intersects the night. The sun never intersects the moon and vice versa. 
the different climates that we see all over the earth and all over the world, right? How specific villages are brought up. All these things, akhi, ikhwah, wallahi, show these are signs of Allah. And for the believer, it will raise them in iman. For the believer, it will raise them in iman. Only the believer, the one who has a heart that is conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah says here, it is a reminder, it is insight only for those who are conscious of Allah. Only those who return to Allah. They're the people who just sit and they look at the creation of Allah. They see the oceans and they see the mountains and they see this magnificent creation and they just ponder and it raises them in Iman. The believers barely are those when the verses and the signs of Allah, the universal signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala befalls them, right? The hearts start to tremble. They start to fear Allah and incline towards Him, right? And when they see the signs and the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, zadatum imana, it only increases them in iman. It increases them in faith and belief. إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَاتٍ لِمَنْ Verily the changing of the day and the night and everything you see manifested in this worldly life, it is a what? It is a reminder. For whom? الْأَلْبَابِ The people of intellect. Who are the people of intellect? The people of iman. The people who are conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So Allah says this is a reminder and insight only for the believers. Then Allah says, وَنَزَّلْنَا Here is the shahid. Here is why Allah mentioned the creation of the heavens and the earth. Pay attention. Look at the parable Allah brings. وَنَزَّلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً مُبَارَكًا فَأَنْبَتْنَا بِهِ جَنَّاتٍ وَحَبَّ الْحَصِيدٍ وَالنَّخْلَ بَاسِقَاتٍ لَهَا طَلْعٌ نَضِيدٍ رِزْقًا لِلْعِبَادِ وَأَحْيَيْنَا بِهِ بَلْدَةً مَيْتًا and we have brought down from the heavens and Mubaraka, blessed water, the rain. And with this rain, what we have done with bihi. from this rain came what Jannat gardens and agriculture. Allah says about the things that everything He's describing right now that it is what? It is provision and sustenance for the for the servants of Allah. All this stuff is a source of provision. All the stuff that you see around you is provision. It is sustenance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah mentioned, the rizq al-ibad. And Allah says, وَأَحْيَيْنَا بِهِ بَلْدَةً مَيْتًا And from the rain that Allah has created, we have went ahead and brought to life a land that was dead. A land that was free from crops. A land that was free from life. Right? They experienced years, tens and thousands of years of drought. As we see in history. And the seal of the NBA. Some lands went through thousands of years of drought to a point where everything that existed on those lands, there was no life on those lands. Life of human being and mankind, life of agriculture, there's no life. Right? So Allah says, This water that we send down to these lands, it will befall a land that is dead, a land that has passed away, has no life. It was once alive, this land was once alive. And due to Allah preventing the rain falling upon it, it died. There's no life on this land. So just like we will bring to a dead land, a land that experienced drought, just like we will bring life to it from sending down rain, كَذَلِكَ الْخُرُوجِ This is the same exact example as what? As your resurrection. 
just like you were once alive and you will pass away, you will be dead at one point, you will be resurrected. Just like we have brought life back to a dead land. Does that make sense? Anyone confused here? Does that parable make sense? The comparison Allah makes. This is how Allah look at the eloquency of the speech. How Allah is refuting these people and trying to get to them with, with logic. You're going ahead and neglecting and disbelieving and being resurrected one day. And you're saying that one day you will pass away and you become dust and you will disintegrate and decompose. And based on that, you were saying that you will not be resurrected. Well, Allah is telling you here, the Al-Balatul Maytah, right? The dead land that goes thousands of years with no life. All we have to do is bring down rain upon it, right? And then life is that simple for Allah. Is that simple for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what is, what is a greater creation, the earth or mankind? What's a greater creation? What holds more magnitude? What is heavier? What is harder to go ahead and facilitate? The earth or mankind? Mankind or earth? The earth. The earth. The heavens, the earth. This is greater than mankind. We're just ants compared to this world, compared to this earth that we're walking upon. It doesn't take that hard to facilitate for us. And like we said, nothing is hard for Allah. But what's more difficult in creating and facilitating logically is the earth. So Allah is saying, we can bring that back to life. You insignificant particle. You don't think we can bring you back to life? That's what Allah is saying. Right? كَذَلِكَ الْخُرُوجِ Allah then goes and discusses, and perhaps we'll stop here. It's 840. I don't want to keep the brothers and the sisters long. Inshallah ta'ala. Allah then here has refuted the claim of the disbelievers who, dis who, who went ahead and disbelieved in being resurrected. They disbelieved in being resurrected. So Allah refutes it with showing His magnificence and strength and ability to bring life back. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also brings them another lesson. So this was one lesson for the Kuffar. Here's another lesson. Allah is going to bring you the people of the past, your ancestors. كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ قَوْمُ نُوحٍ وَأَصْحَابُ الرَّسِّ وَثَمُودِ so first lesson was Allah showing you what he's able to do and that should be enough for our lesson but from the mercy of Allah he brings you another lesson Allah is telling these people and telling us before you there are people who walked the earth and we sent to them messengers like we have sent to you a messenger and they disbelieved in their messengers, just like you're disbelieving in your messenger. كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ Before you disbelieved the people of Nuh. وَأَصْحَابَ الرَّسْ أَصْحَابَ الرَّسْ are the, is a place in Yemen. And it was stated that they had a prophet. His name was uh, Hamzala. Right? That's another story. I'm not going on that tangent, right? We're just talking about these different tribes and nations that came before the Prophet Allah is mentioning them to show that there were people who walked. We sent to them a message just like we sent it to you with the same exact message and look what happened to them. That's the whole Quran. How many surahs is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in detail going over what Allah has done to Lut and their people, what has done to Nuh and their people, what has done to Thamud and their people, what has done to Fir'aun and their people, what has done to and the likes. And there's surahs where Allah is going in depth about what happened. The conversations between the people and their prophets and their messengers. 
how many times Allah has given them a chance. And when it came down to halas, the arrogance kicked in, it resonated in their hearts, the punishment that Allah gave these people. That's what this Quran is filled with, correct? And, Allah, and why is Allah mentioning the stories of the prophets and their people? To show them there has been a people that walked earth just like you. And we sent to them a messenger just like him, وسلم, and he had the same exact message and the same exact call. Look what happened to them. Look what happened to them. You don't even have a trace of the lineage of these people. Allah has destroyed these people from A to Z. These people's lineages were cut off. And the punishments that they overcame were severe punishments. May Allah protect us. So Allah is mentioning the prophets here to show these people as a second lesson. This is what will happen to you basically. This is what's going to happen to you. If you do not follow this messenger, right? The people of Nuh, the people of Ras, the people of Thamud, the people of Fir'aun, and the people of Musa alayhi salam, the people of Lut, all these people. Look at the stories in the Quran, how we've punished them, how many chances we've given them. Lesson number two, right? Then Allah says, again, every lesson that Allah brings, Allah is taking it back to their beginning claim. What was the first claim that they were, they were amazed at in the beginning of the surah? What were they amazed at? They were amazed at the religion and the speech of Allah and singling out Allah, the Tawheed. But what was one thing that they verbatimly in this surah were amazed at? What aspect of the religion? Resurrection. The first parable, the first lesson was to show us Allah's ability to resurrect. Allah has brought these people brought their pasts, shown us what has happened to them. And then Allah says, bil Do you think we got tired from the first of creation, from the people we brought before you? What's the answer to this? It's a rhetorical question. You think we got tired? That's what Allah is saying. You think we got tired by creating these people, sending, them to, sending, to, sending to them messengers, giving them chances, and punishing them left and right in the severest forms of punishment? Allah says, after all of this, you think we're tired? Allah said, you think we're tired? Don't worry. Resurrection is something that is true. Resurrection is something that is true and that is promised. Right? So these are two lessons that Allah has brought to refute that claim. And look how Allah continues to swore. Just give us a couple more minutes, inshallah ta'ala. Is that okay with everyone or are people starting to sleep? Anyone starting to sleep? You good, Bilal? You sure? Alrighty. Tayyip. Two lessons Allah has brought for this claim. Allah does not stop there. There's so many things the Quran is filled with. Allah has stuck with resurrection here. And the next segment of the surah, Allah is talking about resurrection. First, He's talking about the ability and the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then He goes into his greatness when it comes to resurrection, the reality of resurrection. This is the second page of Surah Qaf now. Right? We went over two lessons. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the second page and says, Allah says, Verily we've created mankind and we know what his insides and his desires and his soul says to him internally. 
So Allah is saying, Allah is showing you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you here how his knowledge encompasses all. Allah says, we have created mankind, right? And what's harder, creating mankind or being aware and conscious and knowledgeable of what this creation that you created has done? What's harder? If you created something, of course, you're the most knowledgeable of it. You create a gadget, a computer, a phone. You're the one who came up with it. No one else knows it better than you. Right? But what was more difficult for you? To create it in the first place or facilitating it afterwards? What's more harder? Creating it. Look at the lessons Allah is saying. Allah is saying, we've created you. And we didn't just stop there. And we know what your own soul whispers to you on the inside. From the things that we crave. From the things that we crave from the dunya, from this dunya and his temptations. From the things that we crave and our souls call to from the haram. May Allah protect us and forgive us and pardon us for coming short. Allah says, we know what's inside of you. Allah, do we not get shy? That we, Allah to the extent knows Allah, Allah knows what's inside of us. And the evil thoughts arise inside of us. When temptation comes to us, Allah knows what goes inside of us. Imagine what is inside of you from evil desires and temptation. Imagine that being propagated to your parents. Imagine that being propagated to your teachers. Imagine it being propagated to your community, your societies, and your friends. You will not bear. You will not be able to Take what will come to you if people knew what was going inside of us. Is this not how it is? This is how we are. How about when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, not only are we aware of your whereabouts and what you do externally, we know what's inside of you. But in the hadith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the Prophet mentions and says, that I have what pardoned my ummah for things that arise inside of them internally and they don't act upon it. It's from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we can't control what we think about. Sometimes we can't control what races through our minds and what our desires call to sometimes. This is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Continuing with the verse, Allah says, we are aware what their soul internally whispers to them. Right? And we are closer to him. A mankind. We are closer to them than their own jugular vein. How close is your jugular vein to you? It's a part of you is a part of you. It is the part, if there's a, a very sharp knife that gets to it, right? All has to be a sharp knife. And it slits that part of your throat. Oh, this is over. It could be a partial cut. But once that is exposed, that's how severe it is. That's how close it is to you. That's how sensitive it is the jugular vein. Allah is saying, we are closer to you than that jugular vein. And here we, we got to be careful. Because a lot of people misinterpret this ayah. A lot of people use this verse and they try to say that this verse shows that Allah is with us. His being is with us at all times. Right? And the correct interpretation of this hadith, is, of this ayah is when Allah says, and we are closer to Him. Allah is referring to His angels. Because Allah, what, what is known? Who is with us at all times? The angels. Uh, Allah is with us. Pay attention. Allah is with us with His what? With His knowledge. Allah is with us with His what? With His sight. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is with us with what? His ability to hear, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's how Allah is with us. When Allah says, huwa ma'akum, and He is with you, aina ma'akuntum, wherever you may be, He is with you. He is with you with His knowledge. He sees all, He hears all. 
This is how Allah is with us. But here Allah is saying, and we are closer to you than your own jugular vein, a these angels that are set to record everything you do. As we know, there are what? Angels that exchange shifts, Fajr time and Asr time. That come and sit and record every single thing you do. Everything you do. وَنَحْنُ أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ إِذْ يَتَلَقَّ الْمُتَلَقِّيَانِ عَنِ الْيَمِينِ وَعَنِ الشَّمَالِ قَعِيدِ Here Allah is talking about the angels. This is how, this, this, is, this verse shows why the tafsir that we just made and being closer to us is about the angels. Because Allah immediately refers to the angels. إِذْ يَتَلَقَّ الْمُتَلَقِّيَانِ The two angels, you'll find them on your right, but we can't see them. On your right and on your left, قَعِيد They're sitting and they're observant and they're attentive. Right? These angels, every single thing, they're recording every single thing you do. And Allah explains it in the next verse. مَا يَلْفِضُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ أَتِيبٌ They do not utter a word, speech, except that upon them is raqib, someone who is attentive and observant of what you're doing, which is the angels, أَتِيب Someone who is what? Recording. This is the description of these angels. They are raqib, they're observant and attentive to every single little insignificant thing that you are doing. And they're atid, they're recording. Everything you do, you they record. This is, these verses are to instill some sort of fear in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and God consciousness. Right? When someone is walking and living their life with the knowledge that Allah is with me, and His knowledge, and I have angels around me that are recording every little thing I'm doing. Imagine if you're walking around with this thought with you at all times. You are someone who's going to refrain from sin a lot more than we do now. Not only that, but you are someone who's going to hasten towards good more now. You know, everything you're doing is being recorded. Every little, my salam is being recorded. My smile is being recorded. Right? My sadaqah is being recorded. My steps to the message is being recorded. My reciting of the Quran and my adhkar and my supplication is being recorded. Right? This is from the benefits of knowing. Right? That your actions are being recorded. One, it helps you refrain from evil. And what? It pushes you to strive towards doing good. Because the more good you do, the more it, what? it racks up in your book of account. And that book of account is, when, is what's going to testify for you in the day of judgment. That book of account that, that these angels are recording day in and day out is the book that is going to be said that you're going to be told to read on that day. Allah says, Iqra kitaba. Allah says, Surah Al-Isra, Iqra kitabaka. Read your book, your book of accounts. The book that was recorded in your worldly life and recorded every little thing you did. Read that book. This is sufficient to hold you accountable. So Allah is saying, it is everything you have done in this book. Right? So now you know that there are angels around you that record every little thing you're doing. And Allah is even aware of your internal struggles. You don't even have to vocalize it. Right? Allah is aware of these struggles. Right? So knowing this and this, mag, this great capability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? and how everything we're doing is being held accounted for, is something that arise some sort of consciousness and awareness. Tayyib, inshallah we'll stop here. The next verse is where Allah says, وَجَاءَتْ سَكْرَةُ الْمَوْتِ بِالْحَقِّ This is where Allah starts talking about the Day of Judgment. And verily, the angel of death, a, the, uh, the agony of death, the moments of death befalls the individual. This is what you were 
lying about and disbelieving in and denying. That's the verse that we're going to stop at. So from here we're going to be discussing, it's going to be Day of Judgment. Right? Look how, and many of you, many of you may go ahead and say, Tayyip, this was supposed to be, we're supposed to be talking about the Day of Judgment and the descriptions of the hereafter. Right? This is what the Surah is talking about. The beginning of the Surah. And I'm trying to go ahead and summarize it in a nutshell. The beginning of the Surah, the chapter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings the claim of disbelievers. We're not talking about people who knew about the hereafter and believed in the resurrection, but they didn't prepare properly. Allah is talking about people who are worse than them. They're people who denied it in totality. Right? And Allah spent the, remaining of the, the remainder of the Surah telling you about why the resurrection is true, logically and what the resurrection really is, which is what we're getting to right now, right? So we'll discuss that, even though I would love to finish the sword right now, but I do not want to hold the brothers and the sisters up. People have obligations, people have families. Uh, and inshallah, I ask Allah to benefit us from what He has taught us. Inshallah, next week, we will go with the remainder of the surah, which is discussing now how Allah speaks about the Day of Judgment and those moments of death, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions regarding what we spoke about? Uh, and we, we eat in a soil and we go in the inner heart. So it's keep going from here now to here. Say it one more time, Shit. I didn't hear it. Sorry, I'm sorry. The people are going on the graveyard. The people who go in the graveyard. And we eat everything from the heart. Yeah. So it's keep going from here now to here because the people came over here. So I'm saying, you know, in my body, there is you know, a million of particles of other people. There's a million particles of other people. Yeah, in my book. Okay. One more time, Shafi. Does someone understand? I think he's in the like, animals in the graveyards, right? Millions of years before us, whatever. Yeah. Um, now we're eating from the earth as well. Yeah. So are there bodies like in the food that we eat, essentially? Is that what you're asking? Like, yeah, I think. It's like, is there particles inside of us? Like, yeah. Because the food in the ground, yeah, and yeah, the ground too. Oh, is there particles in the food that we eat? Right, from that. Because mm. the earth de 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 yeah, decomposes into the earth. Allah yeah. Allah. Allah will bless you. Is that your question though? Yeah. Allah Allah. Allah. Perhaps I can get it. Are you going to recycle? Recycle? I need it. It's like an endless cycle, you know? There's people that die and more people eat from the ground, you know? No. That's what you're saying. No. But, I mean, of course, what we know is we come from, you know? The semen, what what occurs, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions to us, the reproductive process. Um, but as for this, Allah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not understanding the question correctly. Maybe I'm just not intellectually there to understand what he's saying. Uh, but let me, I'm going to get the question proper and I can ask for it, inshallah. Any other questions, even suggestions, things to bring up of benefit now? Uh, so the poem I should have said. This is going to be the last thing we go over. And inshallah ta'ala, we want to go over before Ramadan. So we basically what we're going to be doing every week or every other week now is taking a segment of the Day of Judgment, right? Same after we finish Surah Taq, a segment of the Day of Judgment and going in depth in what it entails, right? What the Quran and tells us about it. So inshallah, that should take us all the way up to Ramadan, right? And we wish and we hope that Allah gives us life and tawfiq and steadfastness 
to, to get to that point in life first and foremost and to continue upon this. And the plan inshallah ta'ala is immediately before Ramadan after we went over the classes that talk about Ramadan and its rulings and its virtue because inshallah that's going to happen. We will go over this poem by Imam Al-Sa'di which is The Journey to Allah and the Hereafter. It's a poem written by one of the contemporary scholars for the past 200 years. His name is Imam Al-Sa'di. He's a famous tafsir. That is known by Tafsir al-Sa'di. And he wrote a poem that is titled The Journey to Allah and the Hereafter. But this poem talks about the traits and the characteristics of those who are truly awaiting that journey and that meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So one would assume that the poem is talking about the hereafter in its description. That's what we're doing now from these books, right? But that poem, it is very eloquent how he named it The Journey to Allah and the Hereafter. But that poem is actually talking about the traits of the people who are preparing for the hereafter. Right? Which is what we need to busy ourselves with the most. Right? We learn about the hereafter in itself in detail so that uh, the heart starts to soften. The heart starts to soften and levitate towards Allah and start to uh, have khashya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what happens when you learn about these unseen affairs. Okay? Then afterwards, once the hearts have softened, then you learn about what you need to busy your heart with, which is these traits, right? So that's what that poem is about. We hope, inshallah ta'ala, that we are able to go over right before Ramadan, right before that boost of Iman starts to rise. We learn about these traits, so we hasten to, inshallah ta'ala, beautify ourselves with these traits and lofty attributes. Pardon me? The proofs? Yeah, Everything that was mentioned, and like mentioned as far as the, ta- not the tangents, but the commentary, putting the parables together, the lessons, right? Um, the, the description of the claim of the Kufar when they claim that this was strange, and they're disbelieving in the hereafter, and disbelieving in the judgment, right? Um, when we talked about Qaf and what these disjointed letters in the Quran actually mean, right? All this was from Ibn Kathir. Right? Obviously what we did mostly, and it was enough for us, wallahi, is just going over the, the face value of what these verses say in English. Right? And whenever a lesson came about, or some commentary was needed, it, was, it came from here. It came from Ibn Kathir. By the ta'aliq of Shaykh Ahmed al-Shakir, al-Muhaddath al-Muslim. Any other questions? Jazakumullah khairun hadha, wallahu a'la, wa jallu wa a'lam. صلى الله وسلم على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك جزاكم الله خيرا إن شاء الله وكنتنيو الدرس بالصورة next week بإذن الله تعالى forgive us for I always say this إن شاء الله till everyone gets used to sitting for an hour or so بإذن الله تعالى إن شاء الله forgive us for prolonging we don't intend to prolong but these are heavy matters and our light matters. Um, so we ask Allah to put barakah in our time, to allow us to benefit from these affairs and to make it translate into action and application. This is the point. If there are brothers who are here for the Umrah, we have Uncle Qamar, Sheikh Qamar. Zahallah khayran. You want to raise your hand, sir? Allah. So now the brothers are here for the Umrah trip. If you have to turn in some documentation, there's the forms that we're going to be filling out for the brothers, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, other than that, 
everyone's good to go. So, Zakum Mahal. Salam alaikum.